Good morning. Peace be with you. If you uh, have your Bibles today, we're going to be in, uh, for you want to get out your phone as well, um, Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 11. We're going to be going through verse 21. And um, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, there's this like interesting illustration that comes up all throughout the Bible, uh, both literally and, and figuratively speaking, and that's bread. Bread is all over the Bible. It is not gluten-free for those of you who are gluten-free. You know, yeah, amen, celiac, right? Uh, so we say, it's all over the Bible. And if you've been tracking with us through Mark, Mark uh, 6 through 8, really, I, I call this the bread section of Mark because in March 6, you have the feeding of the 5,000, bread's broken, tons of pieces of bread are left over. Uh, Mark 7, as Pastor Matt preached last week, there's this Syrophoenician woman who is desiring the crumbs from the table the, um, from the children of Israel. And in Mark 8, just before our passage that we're gonna be looking at today, you have another feeding, a feeding of 4,000 people with some similar characteristics as the feeding of 5,000, but also some differences. Um, and you guessed it, our passage today is talking about bread. It's a bread section. So uh, it's a short section. So if, if you're able and willing, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Beginning in Mark, Mark 8, verse 11, it's on the screen as well. Hear the word of the Lord. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread. And they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus aware of this said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not perceive or understand are your hearts hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And he said to them, do you not yet understand? This is the word of the Lord. Would you please be seated? Jesus, after feeding uh, 4,000 people arrives, he, he's in this new region and automatically he's confronted by the Pharisees. And now when in our text, it, it says that the, in verse 11, it's, the Pharisees come out to test him. This is not an objective examination for Jesus to prove himself. No, it's actually, if you look at the language, it's like communicating like a militant posse. They're coming out to get in Jesus's face. And this word testing actually occurs in the New Testament before this, actually in the gospels. It's the same word for testing that Satan does with Jesus in the wilderness. 
they're coming out to test him, to see and for him to prove that he's the son of God. And Jesus knows what's happening here. He's been, this is familiar territory for him. They know he's heard this language before because this is what Satan did to him. And ironically, one of the, the things that Jesus was asked to do by Satan was in his testing was to take a piece of stone and turn it into bread. Interesting enough to prove that he's the son of God. So what does Jesus do? Well, we just read it in verses 12 and 13. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? I, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them. He got into a boat again, the, a boat he just got off of and went to the other side. He sighs and he tells them no. And this reference to this generation is this Old Testament reference, like to Exodus like the people of Israel rebelling against God and God not letting them into the promised land. He's like, they're not in. He says, the Pharisees, they're not in my kingdom. And there's nothing that can convince them otherwise. They reject me completely. Nothing will convince them of his authority, power, and sonship as the son of God. So upon leaving the Pharisees, he gets into a boat again with his disciples and you think there would be a bereavement from all of the doubts, all of the questions, uh, but he gets right into the boat and gets into the same thing. Yeah, it's a little indirect, but it's the same thing that he just left. And we see it in verses 14 and 15. Now they had forgotten to bring bread and they had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them saying, watch out. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And you read it and you're like, what? Like, what is this? This sounds like nonsense. Didn't they just like, did they forget to reach in the baskets that were left over all seven baskets from the feeding of the 4,000? Did they forget to bring bread from that? Did they not just witness what Jesus had just done? He's right there with them. And he's, they're like, bro, we only got one loaf. I don't know what we're going to do. This is like that kid in class, like you're going over homework and you just finished question number five and the teacher's like, hey, anybody else got any questions? And then there's that one kid to be like, yay, can we go over number five? Yeah. Like, right? I was that kid. You may have been that kid. <laughs> there's hope for those kids. It's like, bro, where you been? You been here with us? We're in the same room, right? We've had the same experiences. We're, we're experiencing the same thing. And you're like, you're, you're not even paying attention. They experienced the feeding of 5,000 and, and 4,000, both. And they're, for some reason, acutely aware of the fact that they have one piece of bread. There's only one loaf left. And this is where their attention is. And they possibly even witnessed the berating of the Pharisees just now. And they're worried about bread. And I, it's interesting to me because I, I think that Jesus, we don't know why Jesus goes into this language of leaven or in some of your versions says yeast, same thing. It, like, we don't know why, if he's using this as a launching point to start a parable, like we, it's, it doesn't say in the text, but evidently their attention's on bread. So he's like, oh, you're worried about bread? Yeah, yeah, that can cause some detriment to you. The fact that you may not have much food, but 
this warning that I'm giving you, this leaven, this yeast of the Pharisees, this has ultimate detriment to you. This will crush your soul. This will destroy you and destroy what I'm trying to do. And I think that this is where his greatest concern is. So we, gotta, we have to investigate this. What's this leaven? What's this yeast of the Pharisees inherit? And to do that, let's just lean into the illustration. What is, what is yeast? What is leaven? I, if you're, you can Google it in your own time. You can nerd out. I, I did. It's just, it's, if you're familiar with making bread or fermentation, yeast is an additive. It's something that you add to something. It's, a, it's an actual microorganism that exists in nature. You add it to whatever it is and it feeds on sugar. Specifically, when you're making bread, it feeds on the sugar that's in flour and it begins to spread. And I, I think the ultimate th- thing that we have to understand is it alters the original state of something. Wine is different than grape juice. It becomes something completely different. Yes, there may be some similar characteristics with color and, and some taste and things like that, but it's completely different. So when you add, take dough and bake it without any yeast, it's gonna look much different. It's gonna have a different texture, a different feel. It's gonna have a different taste. And then when you make it, it causes a chemical change with carbon dioxide. And that's why you have little pockets of air in your bread. It creates something different. The original is different than it, it's changed. It's completely different from its original. And this is Jesus's greatest concerns with his disciples at this moment, enough to verbally warn them. He's like, watch out for the additives of the Pharisees and Herod. So I think what we see in, in, the, in our text in Mark is actually the Pharisees and Herod, they share a common characteristic. They share a common pursuit in their life. And I think the leaven of the Pharisees can just be summarized as being this pursuit of more. It's more. One theologian called it the religion of morism. It's like, it's like there's never enough. There's always something else. For the Pharisees, we actually see this in Mark 7, 1 through 13. You can go to it in your own time, but you actually see how this is lived out by the Pharisees. They are pushing this agenda of more. They add more law to the law of God to promote their own personal gain and shake their own responsibility. That's this whole thing of Corbin that is talked about. Like I can like take gifts from, from my family and give it over to God so I can shake my responsibility. Like the, the whole rituals of hand washing and doing all of these things. It's like, I am more righteous than you. And it adds validation to that to show my superiority over other people. They keep adding. And here in our text today, they want more of a sensational sign from Jesus to show and prove that he's the one and only Messiah, that he's the true son of God, fully knowing all the signs and miracles that he's already done. They would have known and they would have seen some of them. And they're still, it's never, ever enough. These Jewish leaders who were supposed to be the keepers of the law, they kept adding additions. The law was meant for them to be priests, a holy nation of priests in Exodus. But instead, what Jesus says to them is like the people that you convert to your religion, your religion of morism, they become twice a child of hell. 
something different. God intended them to be one way to show his glory to the world. And they keep adding, they sprinkle in a little more and something else comes out. It's not of God. Herod's pursuit of more though is shown in just before that in Mark 6, 14 through 29. We see Herod Antipas, he's all about adding more power, pleasure, and personal gratification to his life. He unlawfully marries his sister-in-law who's married to his brother. Like this is the whole thing with John the Baptist that comes up because he's like, that should not happen. Why is he doing this? It's wrong. Eventually his niece does some type of provocative dance that gratifies him physically. And that's what eventually would lead to the innocent death of John the Baptist, this pursuit of more. And this leaven, this pursuit of more, it's actually not just isolated in the gospels. It's all over the Bible. Just go to Genesis three, the whole garden exchange with Satan in the garden. He actually, I mean, this is the whole thing that's brought up. Did God actually say you can't eat this tree? Isn't there something else? Is he holding out on you? You can have all these other trees, but not this one. Why? Because you're going to be like God. There's something more for you. It's all over the, the Old Testament. Israel is in the wilderness and they're not satisfied with bread that God's providing. They call it manna. In Hebrew, it literally means, what is it? They're not satisfied with it. And they're so unsatisfied that they're like, take us back to Egypt so we can have the meat. It's never enough. It's never enough. Israel wasn't satisfied with making God their king. So in 1 Samuel, their cries are for Saul. They want Saul to be their king so they feel protected. There's always something more that they're wanting. And the New Testament is, is full of warnings. There's, there's people in the New Testament that are desiring spiritual gifts, not for like to edify the church, but to show the validity of their faith. And they're not delighting in the giver of gifts. And it won't take long to see, like I, this is what I love about the Bible. The Bible has this ability to show what humanity is really like all over it. And it won't take you long to see the same mentality in our culture and lives today. It won't take long. It's everywhere. It's a culture of more. It's, it's the constant work and pursuit of higher achievement and promotion. The desire for more influence and relevance. The need for greater adventure and experiences to prove the worth of our lives. Maybe it's the desire to scale up our living in pursuit of more comfort and more amenities. Maybe it's the need of affirmation or validation that we're living our best life. This is, Instagram's built on this. Like social media, this is like you scroll through and this is what you're seeing. And, and it's like advertisers are feeding us this leaven all the time. And sometimes we're so unaware of it, just sprinkle it a little here and sprinkle a little there. And I, I say all this because it's easy to see the speckles in culture and in the world's eyes and to ignore the massive beam that's sticking out of the church's eye. I feel, I, sometimes, I, I mean, the church is not only not exempt from this, I actually think they're the worst culprits of it sometimes. The church needs more, we, we need more of influence and cultural platform. 
We, we, we need to add more doctrinal systems that distinguish us from them. The church needs to be more conservative or the church needs to be more liberal. Let's sprinkle in a little nationalism in there because we got to win back the nation for God. You need to be more reformed. You need to be more progressive. You need to be more this. You need this version of the Bible, not this one. We keep adding over and over again. And for hundreds of years, especially in America, this is what the church has done. They sprinkled in more and more leaven. And instead of seeing Jesus has the bread of life, we sprinkle in more and more leaven. And what comes out is not Jesus. It's not, it's something else. It's got some of the same characteristics. It's got some of the same look, but it's completely different than what we've been handed down once for the saints to, to uphold. It's different. And I, I think this is why the disciples and as disciples today, we need to heed the warning of Jesus to watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and Herod because it's all around us. And this is why Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, he actually gives this, this, this stark reminder. He said, cut off the leaven from among you because it will cause you to become something different. And if we, I mean, let's just put this all in perspective here from what we see in the text today. If we think that we're above the influence of morism or this additive or this leaven that we see all around us, let's look at the disciples. They had Jesus right there. And we're like, oh no, if I was right there, I wouldn't have done that. I would have been all in. I would have believed He was standing right there and they're looking at a loaf of bread and they're concerned. Verse 16 in Mark, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. This was their concern when Jesus was standing there right there and he's warning them. He's warning them, don't let this creep into you. And that's where their attention is. And this is, uh, theologian Frederick Bruner said it like this, and I think he says it better than I could. When the disciples hear Jesus's warning against the leaven of the leaders, they think at first that Jesus is rebuking them for forgetting bread. But one point of the story is surely that after two miraculous feedings, the disciples are foolish to be worrying any more about bread. It is the constant temptation of discipleship to look at what we have as if, that is of final importance and not to whom we have. Our sufficiency is not the problem. That is a given, both the human and the Christian condition. The problem is an unbelief in the sufficiency of Jesus. And I think this is the primary point of all of it. This is why all of this matters. The primary point of the exchange to the disciples is to show you and I that Jesus is enough. He's it. He's sufficient. There's nothing else that he has to prove. And this is what he says to the disciples. What else do I have to show you? Why are you asking about bread? Didn't you just see what I did? I fed 4,000 and 5,000. How much was left over? Do you have eyes? Do you have ears? What is it going to take for you to understand that I'm enough? I'm right here. I'm what you need, nothing else. I think this whole lesson is about faith. 
It is a faith that says Jesus is sufficient. He's enough. No matter what our circumstances are, Jesus is the one thing we need. That's it. Although it may seem corny, we have like, there's these the Christian t-shirts, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That's meme-worthy material. And it's corny, but it's true. He's all we need. We have everything wrapped up in the resurrected Jesus. And our faith is constantly being hit and influenced by more and more additions, more and more, we just add a little here. We're all in danger of it all the time. But this, there's, this is, there's something beautiful that happens in all this interaction and all of its embarrassment. This has to be embarrassing. Like, this is why you can trust the Bible. Why would you include this? They look real bad here. Like, it's embarrassing. The embarrassment of the disciples is that is, is very real. But this interaction, it, it shows us something really interesting. Jesus doesn't leave them. He just left the Pharisees. He's like, they're never gonna get it. Jesus doesn't leave his disciples. Jesus loves his disciples. He sees the softness of their heart. It's just a little leaven has gotten in there. And Jesus does something marvelous here. It's marvelous. And I think that this is our calling today. Jesus interrogates their faith. He asks really harsh, really direct questions because he's trying to get them to see that he is all they need. Everything they need is wrapped up in Jesus, everything. And I think we must do the same thing. I, th I think this is the calling for us as disciples. We must have honesty before Jesus to show that he's all we need in our lives. And this is the struggle of discipleship. And to show you that you're not alone in this, this is my story from week to week. Every week, Monday, I'm, this is no joke. I'm in my, my office at home. I get the guitar out. I'm swaying. I'm not very good. I'm swaying. I'm singing. In Christ alone, my hope is found. I'm in the word. I'm praying. I'm seeing that Jesus is all I need. There is no manner of sin anywhere to be found in my midst. And then by Thursday, I'm tired. And then the voice is like, what am I working so hard for? I start spinning, right? You get tired and you get alone. You're like, oh, what am I working so hard for? What, what is success? Am I being successful? Am I really doing what God has called me to do? I have a mini existential crisis by Thursday in the same week. And those who are closest to me know this is very real. They've seen it. So I come up here with a limp a little bit because it's true. And if we're all honest, that's the, the, what it means to be a disciple. It's like, we honestly, we, we, we have to come with honesty that we have a struggle of faith as disciples. We struggle to see that Jesus is enough. For me, it's like, it's a validation. It's accomplishment, it's position. I don't know what it is for you. What is it that you think you need more of from God? Is it Jesus in the perfect marriage? Is it, Jesus in the security of finances. Maybe it's Jesus in the perfect church. Maybe it's the pursuit of the perfect job. And I know there's real struggle in there on this one. Maybe it's Jesus and all the answers to your questions about life and faith. Maybe it's Jesus and friends. 
And by the way, none of these things are bad. These are all good things. I love friends. I love the church. I love my family. I, I love my job. Like these are good things. But if we add this to Jesus, it becomes something else. Maybe it's more internal struggles. Maybe it's, I, I want Jesus, but I also want to feel loved. I, want, I don't want to feel like I'm so inadequate all the time. Maybe it's, as I said earlier, it's your struggle with validation. Maybe it's you just want, I, if, if I could just be accepted by other people, then I would have, it's Jesus and, and acceptance. I think this is the application for this text for us and to interrogate our faith. And I think Jesus gives us the model when he asks his disciples questions. If you notice where they are, they're alone with Jesus when he's interrogating them. We need to get alone with God. We need solitude and silence before him, especially when our anxieties and our circumstances arise that where we need to interrogate our faith. And I, I actually think the process is simpler than what we can imagine. It's simple, but it's not easy. I, and here's just a simple technique that I think you can, you can use today. It's, it's actually from uh, a man named Steve Cuss, who has, is just a, an expert on anxiety and how it impacts groups and families. Here's a question. It's just simple. What is it that I think I need right now? What is it? Sit with it, get out your journal, write it out. What comes up when you're sitting in silence? Where does your mind wander? What are you finding most anxiety in at this moment right now in your life? What is your greatest perceived need? What, do, what, what am I seeking from God and others? I think if you just ask yourself this simple question, what do I think I need right now? Really get to the bottom of, see what's going on. For, for myself and maybe for some people here, this may involve therapy. Like you may have to get really some help cultivating this to break ground on it. You may need help from trusted friends, people you really trust that can walk through this with you. But you don't stop there because once you can name it, there's just a simple prayer you can pray. I pray it all the time. Because of Jesus, I don't need fill in the blank anymore. Because of Jesus, I don't need validation anymore. He has validated me before the Father. I am secure in Christ. Because of Jesus, I don't have to feel like I'm, uh, I don't need, need to be loved anymore because I'm fully loved by God at all times. Because of Jesus, I don't need the perfect marriage because I have him and I can show up and love in a way that is unimaginable. But this, this is a prayer of sufficiency of Christ, but it's only the start because I promise you, and this is from my own personal experience, when you start to engage in this, it's only gonna open up more. There's, all, there's so many things that we think we need and they keep coming up. I keep finding things I'm in searching of. And God loves me enough to bring them up in my time with him. I think it, this is what it means to be a disciple. I think it's a continual life of going to Jesus to see that all we need is him. 
And this is where our faith is, is strengthened. And the beauty of it is he has patience for you. He has patience for me. And this is where we find all of our needs fully met is in him. So now we enter a time of communion. I, um, it's interesting. It's, we have a weekly reminder of the sufficiency of Jesus. And what imagery is used? It's bread. It's gotta be, right? It's bread. It's really interesting because in, after Jesus feeds the 5,000 in, in the gospel of John, he calls himself the bread of life, that he's the true bread from heaven. And what's interesting, there's a response from the crowd and I, and I hope it's your response today. The, the crowd says, sir, give us this bread always. May that always be our cry that we always, we, we want Jesus. We, we want him, him, not Jesus in something else. We just want Jesus and he's enough. He's sufficient. We're reminded that of the night when Jesus died, his body was broken and is shown by the bread and the wine and the juice represent his bloodshed. And there's nothing else required of God. There's nothing else. Faith in the crucified son was enough. And he is risen today and he's with us through the Holy Ghost. And he's continually teaching and helping us and encouraging us that we are children and that Christ is all we need. He's all we need. If you're not a Christian today, I, we ask as a church that you don't take communion, but I, I, I wanna encourage you to, what is your need today? What is your greatest need? And I hope you see that your need is Christ. Repent and turn to him today. If you are a Christian, I just have two things as you approach the table today. Are there things that you need outside of Jesus? And what do you need to give over to him? What do you need to give to him? There's a station right here. We rip a piece off, dip it into the cup. There's a gluten-free section on this side. Um, I hope this is helpful for you today. I'm so grateful to have preached and thank you. Uh, I hope this helps you in your walk and your discipleship with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I cry out in my soul that give us this bread always, give us Christ always. He is enough. Help us as a church not to add things to your gospel. Help us not to, to add things to Jesus. Continue to help us cut off the leaven in our life and in this church. Help us to, to have a, a sincere heart of discipleship. I ask you to interrogate our faith with patience and love. I pray spirit that you are present and you're speaking right now. I pray that you would work in the hearts of people um, in this room today and bless them as they go. I pray this in Christ's name, amen.